So for a couple weeks here, we are in the prophets. Today we're in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of my very favorite um, books of the Bible. I love this, this part in Jeremiah where um, <clears throat> halfway through, after the call, and Jeremiah is a prophet. And as a prophet, no one likes you in the scriptures. Like, like you are, as the prophets, are always stirring up the waters, of the stagnant waters, pointing things out that we would rather not see, asking questions that we would rather not talk about, and pushing us to places that make us uncomfortable and Jeremiah was a prophet, and, and of course, in this moment of Israel, well, the government didn't like him, and the church didn't like him, and the, his friends didn't like him, and halfway through, he says this of God. He says, God, you tricked me. You tricked me into this. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that, too. I'm like, God, you tricked me, but yet I can't be quiet. I can't be quiet. And that's Jeremiah's kind of the summary. Like, I have this fire in my bones, Jeremiah says, and I must speak what God has told me to speak. And Jeremiah, I feel some, I, I don't know, maybe some mild resonance with him. When I was, um, when I was a teenager, I was very zealous. I was, a, I was a quite Christian zealous person as a teenager. And um, I went to Parisburg United Methodist Church, very small little country town and outside of Blacksburg, Virginia, my high school, and um, went to the UMC there. And <clears throat> It, the, it was Youth Sunday. We had a pretty good youth group. And you know those Youth Sundays, right? Like the youth kind of do everything. And, and everybody thought I should preach. And, and you know, as a 16-year-old, I was like, you're right. I'll do it. <laughs> because I've got words to say as a 16-year-old. You know, you look back and you're like, oh, my goodness. But the message was, I still remember it. The me- I, I don't remember all of it. But I remember like the, the main line, like the, the kicker line here was, that I told, let me get this, I have trouble saying it out loud. I told the congregation that they were like raisins, a bunch of dried up grapes. <laughs> oh man, looking back, you know, the silliness of your youth. <laughs> so it, uh, it wasn't well received, like to say the least. And. and but that's kind of the story of my teenage years. I told you I was very zealous, and yes, I was very zealous. I have learned much since then um, in these years that have gone by. Much learning, much water has gone under that bridge. And, <clears throat> you know, one of the things I think the, uh, that, that we have in our moment, right, is when, when we see, like, those people who we would say are prophetic. And that's sort of a thing now that a lot of people kind of feel like, I, I, I'm being prophetic. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking and I can say these words because I'm prophetic. And I don't really think there's that many prophets um, around. I think that there, there, there are a few and far between. But, but like one of the things that I think is we've associated with of like when we, when we say hard things, like we say, well, that's prophetic, and well, maybe not, but, what, but I've also learned like there's, diff- there's other elements to being prophetic than just saying hard words and just exposing. There's also this element of building up, as we will see in Jeremiah. They, our scripture this morning is from Jeremiah 1, 4 to 10. This is Jeremiah's call story when God comes to Jeremiah and, and calls Jeremiah into this life of being a prophet. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is from Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
We love that, right? We love that line. That line is like we put it on Hallmark cards, and um, we love that line. But um, but maybe we might not love it so much after we read the rest of this because it is all together. God is saying, I knew you, and so I've got a job for you. And so he says, before I, you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, for I am too young, and I don't want to do this, so get me out of it. Are you crazy? I don't want to be a prophet, Jeremiah is saying. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you, you two, and say whatever I commend you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will recuse you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me with these words. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we see here that the message comes to Jeremiah, and, and yes, God knew Jeremiah before he was born in the womb. And, but this is saying, God is saying to Jeremiah, I knew you, and I had a plan for you, and I'm going to use you to be a prophet to the world. Now, as I said, being a prophet is not a luxurious profession. It is one that will be lonely. It will be hard. You will have to have thick skin. You will be criticized by everyone. You may even be attempted to be killed because when you stir things up that people don't want stirred up, they will seek to get rid of you. When you push back on the powerful forces that govern the world, that make the rich richer and the poor poor, when you push back on those systems of power, when you push against a church that is just fine being powerful in the world and has lots of privilege and resources, when you push back on that and call it into question, that will there will be a response, there will be a reaction But as a prophet, you understand that you want that reaction because when people react, you understand that you've hit a nerve, that you've pushed in the right spot, that they are listening. And so it is a difficult profession, but God says, I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. But down there, that's very key. What, what, what I think is, is very key is this idea that being a prophet is just not about tearing down. It is about tearing down, but it is also about planting and building. You know, I... Um, in my previous church in Milwaukee, we, re, re, we were looking for a building, kind of a mobile church, and we bought this kind of warehouse space. And the warehouse space was not church ready when we bought it. And so what we had to do is we, we, we basically had to rehab the whole thing. We had, to, we had to go in and knock out ceilings and knock out walls and take, we had to gut it. It was a full gut job. And if any of you have, are familiar with remodeling either a house or anything, you know that oftentimes you got to gut a place before you can rebuild a place. But what was really interesting in looking back on that was we had like, we had like demolition days, right, to tear out things. And everybody showed up for demolition day. Like we all love a good demolition project, right? To get a hammer and to knock a wall down, like tear it down. And we, we, most of us in life can do that. Like we're okay at, at, and when we talk about tearing down a wall, we can tear down a wall, right? 
But what I found was also, and I've done a lot of rehab projects, and I'm pretty good with tools and, and building, and, and it, what I've learned is it takes a different sort of special knowledge, right, to put something back together again, right? When I was a kid, I loved to take apart my toys. I would take all my toys apart. I'd take a screwdriver, and I would take apart all my toys, and then I would put them back together and they wouldn't work. <laughs> you know, there would there'd be a couple parts that I didn't know where they went. Like, <clears throat> like, we are really good in life at maybe tearing a wall down, but it takes work to become specialized, to have the skill to put something back together again, to fix something, to build a wall instead of tearing down a wall. The question that we have before us today is, are we willing to put in the hard work to learn how to build up, or are we satisfied just in tearing down? It seems like we as a society are really good at tearing each other down, right? Like, we got that down good. We can tear each other down. I can tear you down in five words. I can make you feel like a, like a, like a snail in ten words or less. Like, we should have a competition, right? Like, no, no, we shouldn't because that's bad. But it seems like we're really good at that, aren't we? We can easily tear each other down. We can easily criticize each other. We can easily point out how you're wrong and I'm right and your life is bad and your life is bad. But we're not very good as society as building each other up, right? Like, like in conversations, sometimes I have to remember myself when I need to criticize somebody, I'm like, okay, first I need to affirm them <clears throat> and then I can criticize them and then I got to encur- encourage them, right? Like, you don't just go to somebody and be like, well, you did, you, right here, you, you did a really bad job. Like, oh, gosh, okay. I, I, I do that sometimes. I got to watch it. I got to watch that. And we all have to watch it, right? We have to understand that, that when, when we have something hard to say, but we have to remember that they're a human being as well, and they have a heart that could be crushed, and we need to remember that we love them, and we affirm them, and we encourage them, and we bless them. Our words have power don't they? We would like to think that our words don't have power, that they don't affect. We would like to think that the old, the old rhyme is right. Sticks and stones will break my bones, or words will never hurt me. Baloney. And we all know it. That's one of the biggest untruths that we teach each other. Words hurt. But words don't only hurt. Words form worlds. Words are powerful enough to form whole new futures for people, right? We all know that. Do you remember a time in your life when somebody gave you a word of encouragement in a really hard time and it changed your life? You remember that? I remember those in my life. I remember those people willing to say to me the things that were hard, but also the things that were good. I watched this thing online. I don't know where it was. It was about, about, about a Miss America, who, a woman who became Miss America. And she said like five years early, she was just in the grocery store and, and shopping. And some woman came up to her and said to her, you are beautiful. You could be Miss America one day. And she was like, what? You can't. Go away. Go away. You're not. And... And she became 
Miss America one day. Like words have the power to form life, but words are so much deeper, even deeper than that, because like words do two things in our brains. Words do two things. One, when I give a hard, like when, when I say really hard, bad things to you, what's happening, when I say threatening words to you, I'm prepping my brain to action, future action, right? You know, no couple wakes up one day after so many years of marriages, of marriage and be like, yeah, I'm done. Um, let's get a divorce. <laughs> That's not the way those things go, right? They are formed in months and months and months of hard words to each other. And so what we do when we give really hard words, we are sending threatening messages to people, but also into our own brains. So what it does, it, put, it puts both sides into threat mode. What happens when you hear a really hard word? What happens when you hear your boss say, I'm not pleased with your job performance. Whoa, what happens? You know, those, those words don't hurt. They don't mean that. Yes, they do. What happens when someone says to you that you deeply love, you know, I don't think I love you anymore. What does that word, what does that word mean? You see, it's tied to a whole thing in here, isn't it? Those words represent what's going on inside here. And they are threatening. And so what, then we become stressed. We go into fly, fight or flight mode. We are in threat mode immediately because we know those words indicate future action. And we realize, I got to prepare myself. I got to prepare myself. So this is the, as Susan talked about in her prayer, this is the damaging impact of having a public rhetoric that is full of threat, both over here and over here, and back over here and back over here. What happens is as a society, we move into complete threat mode everywhere because one side is indicating that it's going to take future action with its words. So the other side is like, that's going to hurt me or someone that I love, so I've got to defend myself. And so threat, defense, Threat, defense, and then in defense mode, what do we do? When we get into defense, we all know this. What happens when we get into defense mode? We, we fire back. And so because we know that we're threatened, and so we got to threat back. And so what we find ourselves is threat, defense, threat, defense, and then we're at it forever. And this is what happens. This is why our words are so powerful. They shape futures. They change lives. Some people will say, well, you know, I'm just telling it like it is. What happens when somebody tells you like it is? <laughs> yeah, go, so, go, so, go say those same words to your wife tonight and see how that goes. Nope, <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, it's not just telling it like it is. It's not just political correctness. Words have power. And so we got to make choices. Our words are going to be on fire whether we want them or not. Because words have power. And so are we going to use our words to, to just tear each other down? That's not prophetic. The prophetic is. We will use our words to expose the places that need redemption. But then we will use our words to build up as well. See, sometimes, like, we just carry around hammers in our construction, in our lives, right? And, and we just have a bunch of hammers. And if all you have is a bunch of hammers, everything looks like a nail, right? And so we're banging. 
We're banging. We're knocking down walls. But the thing about becoming a master of any trade is a master has lots of tools. Whether it's an artist or a software engineer or a carpenter, those have lots of tools. And so maybe we need to develop better tools in the way that we speak to one another, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we try to build up, right? Maybe we need a hammer to pull things down, but maybe we also need a pillow. What? A pillow as a tool? Yeah, because lots and lots of people need rest. They're so tired from their journey. They're so tired from the way that they have been beat down by the world around them that they just need someone to say, come on, here's a pillow. You take a rest. Take a rest. But we also may need some some bandages, don't we? That the world has been cut up and hurt and deeply wounded. And so we could be those people that carry around bandages as well. To help bind the wounds of the broken hearted. To help be the ones who lift up the downtrodden. To be the ones that can speak words of life to people. I mean, when you get into a building project, you know that sometimes you're going to have, when you get back to the foundation of something, you have to fix some foundations because if the foundation is rotten and you just put a new floor on the rotten foundation, well, <laughs> you're just wasting your time and your money because in two years, that floor is going to be rotten too. And so the prophetic task is, yes, we must peel back the old floor to reveal the rotten floorboards, the rotten foundation. But we can't stop there. We must be the ones who are willing to fix, to engage, to use our gifts and our talents to help fix the foundations. And then we can build a new floor on top of the fixed foundation. But to do that, we're going to need more tools, not just a hammer. How do we develop these tools? I think of a couple ways, just off the top of my head. One is um, listening to each other. I think we need to develop better tools of listening to each other, even when we know we disagree on something. What happens, what happens sometimes when, um, when someone says something you disagree with? They're like, well, blah, 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 and you didn't agree with anything they just said. What do you do? What do you do? Oftentimes you're like, well, I don't, I believe, that's right, that's the next statement. Well, I believe maybe we just need to listen to each other and let each other speak and ask the question, why do you believe that? Maybe that's a better question instead of immediately telling me you what I believe. Maybe we need to ask them, why do you believe that? Why do you think that? I want to understand We need to develop better tools of listening to each other, deeply listening. We don't need to be worried that they're going to change my perspective, but maybe they will change my perspective. But we're never going to change anybody's perspective by just having a competition of I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, going back and forth and threatening each other. Maybe we need to develop better tools of listening. And I believe those better tools developed by listening to one another is through prayer, When we are willing to listen to God, we will be willing to listen to one another. 
But oftentimes, even in our prayers, we pray for a few minutes a day, and we're like, God, wow, I just, oh, like, this, this situation is out of control. I really need your help. Right? Insert whatever. That's oftentimes how our prayers go. But what if we prayed and said, God, I am your servant. I am listening to your will. And we just stopped and we listened to the still, small voice of God that may be speaking in the smallest part of our heart inside. What if we just said, God, I am your servant. Speak to me if you will. I am listening. And we just spent five minutes listening to that little voice of God that may spring up inside of us. Or what if we begin our day by saying, God, I am your servant. Help me to listen to those that you put in my path today. And we began our day, di- and that's how we're priming ourselves. How can I listen to those around me? I think also another tool is cultivating compassion for one another. How do we cultivate compassion? We fake it till we make it, I think, right? <laughs> Sometimes. We're like, I'm going to have compassion. Darn it, I'm going to have compassion on somebody today. Sometimes that's the way it is when our stressful lives take over, isn't it? We're like, all right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm going to give a good word to somebody today. And you're going to look out for that. I'm going to send a note and a card to someone and tell them how much I love them. I'm going to keep some, I'm going to keep five, I'm going to keep ten $5 bills in my car. So when I see somebody, I'm like, here you go. Or I'm going to be willing to take that same person to say, hey, let's go grab lunch together. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear your story. What's your name? What's your story? How do we cultivate compassion with one another? But I think I also think we need to develop the tool of tears. What are the tool of tears? That doesn't sound like a tool at all. It sounds like a weakness, Jason. Yeah, maybe in some circles. But I think we need to be the ones that are willing to cry, to shed tears, that our hearts are so soft that our souls, when we see an injustice, are so ripped apart that we cry. Because we know that this is not the way the world should be. And we are willing to engage ourselves in fixing that foundation, in building that new garden that will provide safety for the vulnerable. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he cried over the fortunes of the people of Israel. Because his heart was soft. You know, when we, when we say really hard things to one another... We're revealing what's in our heart. You know that, right? When Jesus said, Jesus said this. He said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these defile you. When we say mean, threatening, harmful words to one another, all that is doing is revealing the threatening, harmful words that live in our heart that are coming out. So yes, it is a heart issue. And so we have to work hard to soften our hearts. Hearts, hearts don't soften on their own, so to speak, right? You got to work at that. You got to work, especially in this world that we live in. You got to work hard at that. You got to be cultivating that garden in your heart. You, 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 you have to be paying attention to how you feel and ask yourselves, why do I feel such content for this person or these group of people? Why am I not willing to listen to them or to them? 
But maybe we also cultivate our, the softness of our heart by going to the vulnerable and helping, by partnering, by joining in with the, what God is already doing with them. But sometimes we get into this spot where like, we're like, <clears throat> you know, the power of positivity and, and like all that's good and we need to have positive words all the time. And, and so sometimes people of privilege that have managed to isolate themselves from the, from the deep pain and suffering that the world is going through, look at those who are suffering and their words and actions and say, you seem so angry. Why are you so angry? Sometimes when we have a certain amount of privilege and we're able to isolate ourselves from the world around us, we look out and we think that those who are suffering, that, that you're not being positive enough. Well, if you were going through what they were going through, maybe you wouldn't have positive words right now either. If your very existence was under threat, your life, your children's lives, your future was in the real threat of violence against them, maybe those words would come out harder. And so when we hear the words of those who are suffering, we need to understand them as words that are being raised to God, that God is hearing these words. And we need to be the ones to understand, to say, I don't understand, so I need to be willing to learn what your life is like, to walk beside you, to work with you, not over against you, but to partner with you so that this suffering can be relieved, so this suffering can be ended. I always think that when those suffering are crying out, that is always the voices that I need to be listening to. No matter if they don't come in the way that I would want them to come to, if, if they're not proper in my eyes, if that speech is not always the way that I thought it should go, I need to be the ones listening to the cries of those who are suffering because God is there, right there. And I want to be where God is. God is with those who are suffering deeply. And so we must come alongside of them. We must stand with them. As the prophet Isaiah says, another great prophet that Jesus leans into so deeply. This, you all have heard it many times before. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, here I am. If you do away, do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger Ooh. and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry to satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. God will satisfy your needs in a scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls, restores of streets with dwelling. 
And so it is that these two things mix together, that we must be the ones who, who hear the cries of the oppressed, who work for the, to ease the suffering of the oppressed, to do away with our own oppression, to do away with, our, with us causing suffering, and to be the ones who, who cry out on behalf of those who are suffering, and then be willing to work to rebuild those streets so that they can walk on. That's the sort of church that we're being called to be. That's the sort of people that we're being called to be. And our words create all of that. Our words are on fire, church. Our words have power because they indicate our heart and our mind. But they can also change our hearts and our minds. They change futures and they change past. And they change, not past, they change life. They change hearts. I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I'm almost done. I, I've been thinking about like a lot of like, how do we become or lean into or better become? A, I mean, we're on a journey as a church, right? And we haven't arrived yet and we still have far to go. But how do we strive and endeavor towards being the church of justice? I don't exactly know what the answer to that is, but I think it always needs to be out on our radar. How do we strive towards that? I mean, we can do projects, and projects are good, right? Projects are good, and they're good. But, but oftentimes, projects are just we show up, and we do something which is good, and we relieve suffering, and it's good. But, but justice works takes a longer, deeper engagement. I think one thing that we've become really good at, or, or we're getting better at, is, is some of the work of trying to get to know one another, trying to get to know people that are different from us. Like, I hear all the time from people that come into our church, like, I, I've given up on, I had given up on church, but I found, then I found y'all, wow, that's offering a pillow, yes, good work, I, heard, I hear people talk to me and say, I was so hurt by this experience, and then I came here, yes, bandages, how do we also become that church that can build foundations, that can rebuild bridges and rebuild streets? We're going to have to develop some better tools to do that. And we need to be in that journey together. But though I think where it starts, where all that starts is having, sitting down with people who are different from us, who have different experiences than us, and being willing to listen to one another. For, for white folk to get together with, with black folk and say, I want to tell me your story. Tell me your experience of being an American. Because I know it's probably different from my experience of being American. When straight folk sit down with, with, with LGBTQ folks and say, tell me your story. I want to understand what has your experience been like in this society. I think that's where this justice work starts. It starts in being friends with one another that are different from us. It begins in being friends with people that in society, society is trying to wedge us apart. But the church is the, the people who are bringing us together across boundaries and across lines. And I think that's where it starts. So that when we hear the story of one person suffering and we hear, what can I do? We don't 
We, we don't answer them what I think I can do, but what are they saying I can do? And then we get in together and we work in that together. That's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of listening. It's going to take political advocacy. It's going to take us developing better tools. And it's going to take the hard work of rebuilding foundations. But that's the sort of church I want us to be, that I think all of us want to be. And so let us be that. Let us endeavor to push forward towards that vision of what church should be like. Not just a place where we feel comfort and we sing songs, but a, but a place where we feel comfort and we sing songs. We are offering pillows and bandages, but we also are developing tools to be the prophets to the world to say, that is wrong and that is causing suffering. And thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand. It shall not stand. Our words, church, are on fire. How will we use them? Will we use them for the good of the world? Or we will use them to make us feel justified and better? Today, let us follow in the footsteps of Jeremiah. That we must be the ones that tear down and expose, but also plant and build up. May we follow in the words of Isaiah to be the ones that put away with our own suffering. I mean, I mean our own oppression. Put that away and be the ones that dedicate ourselves to rebuilding the ancient ruins, the paths that people can walk on. Let's be that church. Let's use our words for that good today. How can you be that person? What do you need to change in your life? What, what oppression do you need to put away? How do you need to build up? These are the questions that we are left with. And we must continually answer that the prophet still, who spoke so long ago, remind us today in 2019. Today, where are you at in this story? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your goodness and mercy, for your life and love, for these words that spring forth from generations ago and remind us to be the people that you have called us to be, the people for good, the people for hope, the prophets with words on fire. So Lord, as we go into our world, help us to be the people who use our words for good, not to threaten but to relieve, not to hurt, but to heal, not to hit, but to build. We give you our lives and our hearts, and we give you our futures. Help us to be that church of justice. Help us to be those people of justice. But hear the cries and engage in the work of your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We usually have a song coming out after the sermon, but today we do not. We are going straight into communion, and we are reminded that on the night that Jesus, the last night of Jesus' life, that he was with his disciples, he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you for the redemption of the world. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to it, and gave to his disciples, and he says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you gather together for this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of the world. 
And so in remembrance of these mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ, offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until you come and we feast at your heavenly table. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever.